Welcome to the Breaking Bots Podcast. Please put on your safety goggles, tighten your seatbelt and enjoy the ride. Here are your hosts, Brian and Cam. Hey, that's us. That is. But this won't be. Well, not you anyway. Yeah, I am not in this whatsoever. But the spirit of me lives on. All right. So to uh, set this up, this was a um, this was a recording from the last panel of the day at Robot Ruckus. Our uh, noble leader here, Brian, was having a great time doing the announcement. I don't know if I'd call me that. I would say a robot ruckus you were, though, because you took the helm there at uh, doing the announcing, and everybody seemed to, at least, you know, my wife said that everybody online was, like, saying that the announcing was good. Uh, just got a compliment from the uh, great Jack Barker of Endgame, but... Uh, yeah, it's yeah. kind of cool to hear that people actually enjoyed it. Um, I listened to some of the fights, and I'm like, eh, okay. I yeah, and, all right, um, but for and, not bad for a first effort. I guess not to let a huge cat out of the bag, but yeah, we were doing some, uh, we're doing a little bit of the judging too that we will probably talk about on our podcast next episode. But for this, uh, this was or a, we may have already talked about it, depending on what order these episodes go yeah, up in. Whomever, <laughs> this was the veterans panel at the Maker Fair Orlando. Uh, this was you know some of the experienced team captains and builders. Uh, we had Victor Soto from Rotator. Charles Guan from Overhaul, Brian Nave from Shredderator, uh, big fan of the podcast, uh, Jason Brown from Bombshell. I had to go grab him because I think everybody else on his team had packed up and left. Uh, and Logan Davis from Sub-Zero that looked pretty good there. Um, yeah. And this was a joint effort that weekend. Uh, we were joined by the uh, people from Behind the Bots podcast. We had Chris, Lindsay, and Luke. From behind the bots there, um, they did most of the panel discussions while we just went, ooh, robots hit each other. Yeah, um, but, and then, I, and, but they wanted us to get in on the fun, so you uh, you went over for the, the last one for the veterans, and I do enjoy that you, uh, you brought my spirit along as we find out these teens' opinions on hot dogs. Yeah, so um, but I will say, I mean, there's no competition between these podcasts. Uh, no, it's it was all great. Fest. It was great meeting, uh, you know, some fellow fans. And they do way more research than we do. Way more, <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, I mean, they they were kind of they were recognized over there on their side by uh, someone with Maker Fair as far as you know putting on those panels all day. Yeah. So they did a really good job and i just kind of joined along and made hot dog questions so and, but it was fun so. and just be sure to listen in the background for when the crowd goes crazy cuz you guys missed the best fight yeah that would be gruff mammoth which yeah. you can watch on youtube find that online somewhere it was great exactly so um, without further ado here is the veterans panel at maker fair orlando Veterans of the sport, and uh, what is a veteran? A veteran is anybody who can survive the first season and, and makes it back. And so, uh, these these people here have a tremendous amount of experience that they're willing to share with us. Uh, and and some of the some of the veterans here have been around for a couple of years. Some of the veterans here have been around for a long time. And uh, you know, I'd love to pick their brains right now. So if if we could start by going down the line. Uh, uh, introduce your, your names and your bots. 
and tell us uh, how long you've been competing in combat robotics. Hi, my name is Victor Soto. I've been competing in combat robotics for close to 20 years, and I'm the team captain for uh, the Robot Rotator from Team Revolution. Hi. Hello. Hey, my name is Brian Nave. I'm the captain of Team Logicom. I've been also doing it for 20 years, since about the year 2000, back when all the power was going to fail us. Uh, I've got Captain Shredderator. I had uh, Frisbee, Frisbee Ultimate, Code Black. Uh, I've had a slew of robots over the years, so look us up on YouTube. Hi, I'm Jason Brown. I may not have much voice left. I've been talking to fans all weekend. Um, but I've been competing since 1993 was my first competition. Uh, and I'm with uh, Bombshell on BattleBots now and uh, in all of its different iterations. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm Jack Barker of Endgame. Uh, I've only been competing for three years, so I'm like the baby of this panel. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm Logan Davis. Uh, I've been competing for about 20 years with uh, BattleBots. Uh, this is actually my first year as team captain. Uh, Jerry Clarkin, who ran Sub-Zero that I've been driving for the past 15 years, has decided to hang it up, and I've picked up the torch. All right, thank you, guys. Uh, the first question that we had, um, and we can go down the line here again, um, how has your bot evolved through the seasons? We've seen uh, many changes on some of these bots, um, and we'll lead off with Victor here, who we've seen numerous changes with his bot. So tell us how your bot's evolved. Okay, so Rotator, for those of you who aren't familiar, is a double spinner. We've got one up top, we've got one in the bottom in the front, and it's a cool design, but it's got downsides. So uh, it's very weak for certain opponents, so we try to adapt. So we've come up with this new modular design that we uh, started off with in uh, this now 2019 season where we can actually remove entire sections of the frame uh, that's all pre-wired with motors and we can attach a big plow or forks or different types of armor configurations to be able to adapt to different opponents because even though the double blade looks cool it, it won't always be effective and we're very confident that in our weapon power that even one weapon is good enough so uh, we've taken a beating in the past if you saw us in 2016 we lost to Witch Doctor really quickly and we learned a lot from that match <laughs> Hi, Andrea. <laughs> so, uh, so a lot of lessons learned that kept the robot evolving, and now it's to the point where we're, we're trying to be like a bombshell, now we're modular, because we realize the value in that and trying to adapt to your opponent. All right, well, I, you know, if you guys watch the show, you know I've been running full-body spinners forever, and full-body spinners are great in one way, but just like yes, it's bad in another. I mean, the wedges will kill us. The walls kill us, everything kills us. So over the years, we've tried to, to make it less uh, wedge-alicious, I guess. But, you know, unfortunately, the lowest wedge wins. So uh, the latest rendition that we did, we actually do a show over in China called Juju Shu Tia Jia. So if you look that up on YouTube, just punch that in, it'll come right up. <laughs> but, uh, but so we made a new brushless version, thinking, well, this is going to save us some weight, get us some more power and everything. Well, yeah, not so much. It's still pretty heavy. So we're trying, to, we're trying to, to change it around so that we have some defense against the wedges, so that our wedge can be the lowest, and uh, we're still working on that. Boy, how has Bombshell evolved is, uh, is a crazy question. Uh, we started off with the, the whole modular design in, uh, what year was season two? Was that 2017? 2016. 
2016, which was great. Uh, but making it all the way through the competition, uh, we were out of spares, and Tombstone left us with, well, a big garbage bag full of parts that were no longer good. So uh, we built a two-wheel drive wedge with a vertical spinner for the next season, uh, and that's when we learned don't be upside down and don't be on fire. Um, so tr trying to not be upside down and on fire, we're going back to the modular roots, and... Uh, We've, uh, we've got a lot of issues to work out, uh, some of which we discovered quite quickly against Rotator as he uh, tore our entire bottom, bottom plate off and most of our motors. But uh, we're, we're learning from that, too. Uh, so we're only like two seasons in, so we're still evolving pretty quickly. Um, the main things we're changing are trying to catch up to these guys who've been doing it for so long, all the little tips and tricks that they've picked up over the last 20 years to make them, you know, survive the whole three minutes. So, um, yeah, from last season to this season, we realized that the ground clearance game was kind of key, uh, especially for a vertical spinner. So that was one of our main focuses. Uh, we've also been working on battle hardening all the internals because in-game just likes to die. Um, so that's, that's the main thing we've been working on, yeah. Hey. So Sub-Zero has been around for 15 years uh, and as you can imagine has had a lot of different evolutions. Started out two-wheel drive, uh, moved into four-wheel drive with small wheels, uh, using CO2, which is where it gets its name from, shooting out these beautiful plumes of frozen white clouds. Uh, but rules changes have uh, pushed us onto uh, nitrogen or high-pressure air. Uh, we've actually managed to get more flips out of that um, and recent changes have been to you know bigger wheels uh, better armor um, and a little bit more modularity but I think the biggest improvement we're looking for is um, you know fine tweaks for you know reliability battle hardening uh, you know tuning the motor controllers and stuff so we know that your bots have continued to evolve throughout the seasons. But my, my next question is, how have you actually seen the sport evolve throughout the seasons? And where do you think it's going? On the line again? Okay. Um, well, we've seen the sport evolve due to the, I guess, emerging technologies. Like now we use lithium polymer batteries, which are super high density. I remember back when we used to have motorcycle batteries, steel lead acids, take up a big percentage of your weight. So now we have these robots that are very dense, very high powered, very, a, lot of, a lot of energy, um, and it lends itself well for spinners. So there's a lot of spinners, and it makes the game very deadly. So you have to make sure you bring a lot of parts and a lot of uh, teammates to help repair all those parts. Um, but it's uh, really designing a robot to have a lot of energy output, quick turnaround. You've got to be able to assemble it quickly, take it apart quickly. And it's just uh, how quick you are in the pits can determine how well you do in the arena. Yeah, so the, so the sports changed a lot since I got started. Because I remember when I first started, I would actually watch some poor guy driving along in his electric wheelchair and be thinking, I want to grab those motors and make me a robot. Because we literally built our robots out of scrap from the scrapyard. I would go down to the scrapyard, look for hunks of metal, um, look for motors. You know, every little thing I tried to get motors from, controllers, you get... Yeah, the original controllers, they had, like, servos with switches, and the little switch would make the motor go one way, and a switch would make it go the other. 
and there was so much weight in these big, giant, old industrial motors and these big, super heavy car batteries are in there that everybody had thin armor. And that's when us spinners could rule, baby, because we could tear them all apart. But now you got lithium-ion batteries, you got brushless motors, everything. You can just go to the store, you can buy every part off the internet, and you can make really tight, uh, efficient packages with big, giant, thick armor. So the sport's got to evolve. It's a, it's another, another problem for us to work through, and you know we'll work through it. Brian said a lot of what I was going to say about, uh, about scrap, uh, so I don't have a lot of comments on evolving, except that I'm seeing a lot of thought go into robots like Chomp that use automatic targeting and advanced control mechanisms um, to make the reaction times a little bit better than a human can do. And as I age, my driving and reflexes are getting just a little bit slower. So I'm, I'm looking at those uh, with a lot of interest. Yeah, the, the big one that I think is coming in, uh, as Brian said, is the brushless technology. So uh, yeah, you see a lot of robots kind of this past season utilizing that. Um, some of them well, some of them not so well. Uh, but the likes of like Sawblaze and, and Hypershock had pretty, pretty strong brushless drives this year. So. I think the, the weight gaining and the power gain from that is going to be um, kind of the next big thing. Let's see if everyone gets it going. Guys, what about the tournament format? That's a huge change. We used to be able to show up with one robot, lose your first fight, and have a California vacation. It was awesome. <laughs> now we got to work through the whole event, rebuilding robots completely. That's been a big change. It's been a great change for drivers who like to get out there and, you know, tear stuff up. Maybe not the best change for builders who have to pay for all the parts, but for me, I think that's probably been one of the biggest changes. Thank you. Um, we had another person crash the party here from Team Overhaul. Please welcome Charles Juan. Hey, everybody. Robots are terrible. Let's never build them again. That said, who wants to build a robot? All right. Sounds good. So Overhaul is uh, just really the latest bot that I've built. I've been in the sport since my middle school days, starting in about 2001 with the original, original BattleBot season. So I was only able to build little entries. I went to events much like Robot Ruckus that were held in the Southeast region and then uh, did a lot more out during my undergraduate career at MIT. And then finally BattleBots came back around and uh, my friends and I decided to join up and make a bot. And then we decided we, we like different bots. We all have different styles that you learn every, you know, after you compete for a while. So I took on the overhaul mantle, that kind of grabbing and lifting kind of control bot. That's my style. Uh, Jameson was also with overhaul one, and he went with Sawblaze. So that's, uh, that's where I am. Thanks, Charles. All right, um, next question, and we'll uh, reverse the order on this one. Uh, if you would have one piece of advice for a, uh, someone starting out in robotics right now, what would you give them? And we'll go down, all the way down here and come back. Yeah, sure. Um, if I were going to give someone one piece of advice, um, it was a piece of advice that didn't exist for me 20 years ago, and that's, that's start small. Start with one-pounders, three-pounders, 30-pounders, because the mistakes uh, get a lot more expensive in the 250-pound class and in, in the big box. So I, I would start small. I would vet your designs. I would try new things um, and, and, you know, dive in and learn. That would be, that would be uh, 
my suggestion. Yeah, I would say like, just build it. Like a lot of people online do lots of research, lots of design, and they'll build their first robot and it won't go at all. So like, that's how I started, like, and that's how a lot of people start, you know, just get some parts, put them together, see what you can build and just go from there. Yeah, don't, don't spend too much time thinking about it. Just, yeah, just go for it. As, as long as you're starting small, yeah. <laughs> just do it! Make your dreams come true! I'm going to have to echo Charles here and that robots are stupid and nobody should build them. Um, un unless, of course, you just, you know, have disposable income that you never, ever, ever want to see again. But uh, I, I, actually, I'll, I'll take the role of the, of the Cub Scout leader in this case and familiarize yourself with the safety regulations of the events that you're going to and the reasons that those are in place and take those same precautions at home when you're building. Um, I, I, injuries are, uh, parts of you are a lot harder to replace than parts of your robot. So take care of yourself. Safety third, guys, remember. Yeah, well, everybody knows that one of the BattleBots mantras, safety second. <laughs> yeah, if your robot doesn't have blood on it, you didn't build it right. But I'll tell you what, the best thing that you can do, and it's the thing that nobody ever thinks about. No, no, you be safe, ma'am. Be safe. Um, learn to drive. Learn to drive. Everybody designs a robot. Everybody builds a great machine. Everybody thinks about the batteries and the motors and the strengths and the speed. And then they drive over the first time at the event. And, they, and it doesn't drive the way it did on the computer screen, let me tell you. Because one side will get traction, one side won't. It's going to turn this way, then or that way. And if you can't adjust your brain and get used to driving, it doesn't matter how good a machine it is, you're going to lose anyway. So learn to drive. And safety second. Or build a spinner. <laughs> They're the hardest to drive. <laughs> They're the most fun. <laughs> uh, I guess one advice I would give, especially for this uh, robotic combat sport, is don't get demoralized because you will get destroyed. It's just going to happen. No matter how good you think your robot is, it's going to happen. And I think it's pretty easy to see all this hard work go into this fight and then you just get blown to bits and you say, well, what's the point of this? But it's a good learning experience, especially if you're young and you're getting into engineering. That's how I got into it. I started off with uh, different robotic competitions and just being able to get hands-on experience, seeing how something breaks is actually a valuable learning experience as well. So not just how they work, but how they fail is a good learning experience. So don't get demoralized. I think uh, my piece of advice I would give to everyone is something that as a couple years machine shop and design instructor after my graduate career, uh, really a lot of people have trouble asking the question. Never ever be afraid to take advantage and leverage the knowledge of the folks that you're competing around. A lot of folks get intimidated. They see like, oh, you know, these guys are on TV with these like beautiful machines. They're never going to talk to me. Nah, we will happily ramble at you for hours and hours on every aspect of this machine. All right, a long time ago, when, when uh, Robot Combat was still like, you know, at the old Comedy Central BattleBots, there was this really irritating forum user on uh, the BattleBots group called uh, the Orange Hamster one or something. He would ask the stupidest questions over and over, and that person was me. Isn't that right, Brian? Yes. Yes. I loved yes. Brian was one of the few people who loved me. There were a lot of people who were like, wow, that was, that's an annoying kid. And then gradually, you just you build up your engineering knowledge based on that. Right? You meet these people at the events. They might have been a little bit put off by you online, but they're everyone's super nice in person. Right? Your first event, whatever you build, the most valuable resource you can possibly have are the other builders around you. So leverage it.
So I, I think this is a great segue because it doesn't matter what sport it is out there. This is one of the only ones where the teams afterwards get together and they all are helping each other and you've developed this incredible culture uh, of synergy that's happening in the background. Can you tell us, like, what is it that's different about this sport that actually kind of fosters such an environment? So BattleBots, to me, it's likened a lot more to like a backyard motorsport, right? It's grassroots at its fundamentals, and it's, first of all, it's a game played between friends, right? So we're seeing a little bit more edge now that there's so much money involved that like the TV fame is involved, and toy deals are involved, right? But at events like Robot Ruckus and events around the country that are run like builders, it's camaraderie more than competition, right? There's a... First robotics competition has like this cooperation kind of mantra, right? You try to help each other out. At the same time, you beat each other up on the battlefield. Except I think it's FRC. You're not allowed to beat each other up, right? But, I mean, just even at this event, there's a Facebook group. There's like a few dozen of us on there. Anytime someone needs anything, we post to it. Five minutes later, that ticket's resolved by someone who's like across from you, across a room, or like, hey, I'm on the way back from Home Depot. Did you want me to get this for you? That kind of thing. So it's really because the combat robotics community is very tight-knit, there's nothing to be gained from just utterly trashing someone and not playing at your best game. So I think that it's part of why. Like, everyone here is friends, right? And as new people come in, we make new friends. Yeah, and uh, now with the show going on, uh, you know, it's big entertainment, things like that. And we also want to put on a good show. So we want to destroy the other robot, but we also want to make sure that fight happens and that we perform to the best of our abilities, so if we see that the other robot's having issues before the fight, most of the, most of the engineers here aren't going to be like, yeah, well, cool, we'll take that win. <laughs> we'll, we'll probably go and help them out because we want to see what our robot can do, we want to see what they can do, and we want to put out a good show. We know that if we just go and win fights too quickly or like default and get buys, like, we probably won't put on a good show, and, and we probably won't get a show in the future, so we want to see the growth of the sport, so it's really important that we help each other out, and, and we're all friends. We've known each other for years, and it's part of the fun. I think most of the fun is behind the, behind the scenes in the pits is fixing your robot. And if you have nothing to fix in your robot, you're probably going to go find something else to fix, and it'll be your friend's robot. So. Yeah, you know, for me, that's probably the biggest part of it, too. I, I enjoy going out after the fights almost more than I do the fights. But, you know, all of us are all like-minded people. We're all engineers. We're all used to looking at a problem, trying to solve a problem, trying to fix a problem. And we all usually, most of us, work with teams when we work. And, and so that, that kind of team building fosters the type of thinking that you have when you're back there. Uh, we all have our machines, and, and, and one of the things we really love to do, it's not always just, the competition isn't just the fights. For us, the competition is how cool of a machine you can make, you know. Can you, look what I did, look what I did, you know, I mean, look how I stuck this in there, and look how it works, you know. And for us, that's exciting, and part of, part of sharing that is having people come in and look at it and work on it and stuff like that. So, it's like a community. I mean, we went through different waves of it back when it was on Comedy Central, we had a whole bunch of people that saw it on TV. They went out and they bought robot kits. And, you know, and they weren't really the engineering mindset. They weren't really, you know, a lot of the people came from showbiz and prop development and everything. And we kind of lost a little bit of the camaraderie there. It kind of fell apart. But then it got off TV and it got back to the engineers and it got back to the people who really love the sport. And that's us. We love the sport. We love the people. And the part of it exciting about it is the machines and not always just the competition. Unless, you know, we want to prove that our machine's better than theirs, you know. So that's what we do. Yeah, I don't really have much to add either, but also as, as well as it being like camaraderie, it's also 
if you're helping other people when you need help, they're more likely to help you too. So it's also a little bit of that, I think. Yeah. So we just got to help each other out, and, and we all want to be in the arena putting on a good show. So. I, I just think we're just plain lucky. I just think we're just very fortunate, and I, I count my blessings to be competing with such like graceful competitors that really just do it for the love. So uh, I asked the, the rookie panel um, if they were able to throw down the gauntlet and challenge a team or a bot for the 2020 season, who would you like to fight and why? Oh, man. It's got to be Donald Hudson. Always. Always Donald Hudson. You know, I was uh, maybe 15. It was 3 in the morning. I lost to a big spinning robot, and uh, he taught me how to plasma cut the front end off of it. And ever since then, it's been like, I got to fight this guy. Yeah, I think I'd say that in the season three, but uh, we still got him to fight Tombstone at some point. Um, so, we are, we, everyone says don't do it, but, you know, even if you get beaten up, it's going to be a, a lot of fun. So, yeah. I, I'm going to have to second Donald Hudson. Uh, I've, I've, you know, he's been an idol for, uh, for forever. Uh, but Bombshell has fought Lockjaw three times now. Uh, and lost badly all but one of those. Still lost all of them. And uh, I, I think we can beat him. I want to do it again. Hey, well, the interesting thing about combat robots, and you hear it all the time, is that it's rock, paper, scissors, right? You know, rock beats paper. So certain types of robots are like the bane of existence of other certain types of robots. So I would take a robot that has a really great reputation that would be weak to my type of design, and that's Tombstone. I've actually challenged him last season, and he turned me down. Ray, are you here, Ray? <laughs> so every year I challenge him, but he won't take me because he knows I'll beat him. Right, Ray? Oh, he's around here somewhere. So our design is... I don't know. I think we did a pretty good job against Tombstone, so I think the next big challenge would be uh, Vertical. So maybe uh, Witch Doctor or Bite Force, one of those two. We've, we've lost to both of them in the past, so it'd be great to take one of those out. Especially Paul. He's, he's won too many times. Somebody's got to bring him down a bit. Yeah. We, might be able, we might be able to arrange a Witch Doctor fight right now. <laughs> can, can I borrow your batteries? <laughs> that person to take down Paul is going to be me. So Overhaul and versus Bite Force, all the way back in season one of the ABC BattleBots, was one of the closest fought, most intense and technical driving matches of my life. About half the internet thinks we won, about half the internet thinks he won. And when the internet disagrees like that, man, you know it's good. So since then, Bite Force has changed forms. Uh, he now he gave up and built a spinner <laughs> instead of sticking to the grabby, lifty bot nation. But Overhaul 3 will ideally address a lot of the bugs that you guys might remember from 2018 season. It didn't do too hot. I didn't really have time to execute any of those changes that I wanted. But uh, once that bot comes back, I definitely I want another shot at Paul. All right, thank you, guys. Uh, now, one question on our podcast that we have to ask of everybody. Uh, this will inspire some deep thought. Uh, we'll start here with Charles. Is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> Only with pineapple on it. <laughs> That's just a reference to the argument of, uh, is pineapple pizza proper? In my opinion, it is. Woo! Brushless motors are horrible, and hot dogs are not sandwiches. They're hot dogs. <laughs> 
Um, I would have to think deep inside and reflect on this. If the bread is connected, it's more of a wrap. <laughs> if the buns are separate, then maybe it's more of a sandwich. It, it really all depends on how you look at it, I guess. What happens if the bun separates in half the hot dog while you're eating it? Oh. oh. Get a metamorphosis there. <laughs> Evolution of food. Well, I think what I would have to do is I'm going to have to take a trip to Germany to research this. I'm going to talk to the Earl of Sandwich, who invented sandwiches, and uh, I'll ask him and let you know. Well, actually, my middle name is Earl, so I can, uh, I, I, I can astound on that a little bit. Uh, no, but I am descended from the Earl of Mayo. True <laughs> fact. Um, I would have to argue that the, the hot dog is not a sandwich, but not because of the bun, but because the ingredients of a sandwich are typically flat and not cylindrical. If you flatten the hot dog, then you have a sandwich. You all have a weird definition of sandwich. Uh, to me, a sandwich is going to be on a square piece of bread, so it's, it's clear cut. Yeah. Uh, I've also got to shoot off to a fight, so um, I'll leave you guys hanging. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. Yeah, so uh, I'm a big fan of hot dogs, obviously. So I'm going to say uh, <laughs> Chicago dog is a salad. I'm also a very big fan of hot dogs, but I'm going to actually go out and live here and say that a hot dog is technically a taco. <laughs> okay, so we got some great people out here in the audience, and I'm sure that some of you have some great questions here for our panelists. So uh, one of my uh, co-hosts, Luke, over there, he's got the softbox, and he's going to let some of you guys ask some questions. I will only be answering questions about hot dogs. I would focus less on damage. Yeah, so uh, Sub-Zero gets like ripped to shreds every time it goes in the box. So uh, I would change the rules to where damage was not weighted as heavily. <laughs> I've got nothing. Um, I'm, I'm working pretty well within the rule set as they are, and uh, I, I don't have any change. <laughs> all right, we all know we want to get rid of those stupid wedges, right? Get rid of that, yeah. and stupid, I call them battle boxes. Band battle boxes. So we want to make damage 100% of the winning strategy. <laughs> and you get nothing for wedges. I actually say keep the damaged floor. We love it. <laughs> if you have a wedge, you're going to get stuck. We have forks. We have forks, but this is because we're forced to use them. But we'll slice any un unevenness of the floor off, so we don't care. Ban all spinners. Yeah. Yeah. My, my general opinion is uh, these days building spinners is easy to put way too much energy into one, and so matches just really become unfun if you get 30 seconds of two robots hovering and then the bass drops and the rest of the song sucks. Okay, who we got next, Luke? Captain Shredderator like Shredder fan. Get the Captain Shredderator fan and microphone. <laughs> well, um, I would say, uh, how many times have you tried to rebuild it but failed? That's an easy question, and I'll answer for you. It, you, you, if you never quit, you never fail. So, uh, yeah, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it takes more effort than other times. 
but you only fail when you quit. Otherwise, it's just another attempt. Another attempt. Sooner or later, you will succeed. Yeah, Brian, Brian's right, though. I'm right there with him. Uh, I think Sub-Zero's been destroyed, like, several times, and I don't think we've ever managed to not get it back together for the next fight. And I'd have to say the same uh, with the help of even, you know, plenty of the help of other builders and Tormach, who has been uh, been at the events. We've kept at it, so we, we've never had to miss a fight because we could not get the robot running. All right, what we got for the next question, Luke? Uh, I'm Letha. What's your favorite fight far? Warhead versus Complete Control. Uh, there were a lot of flames. There was an upside-down robot dancing on its head. It was it was brilliant. It went three minutes, and it was just gorgeous. You know, I'd have to say it was like way back when, when I first started, before the robots got really, really good. My inspiration, of course, was Mahler 5150 and the, and the iterations before that. You know, and every time it would get out there and fight, it would be so great, so great, and then it would lose. And it would be great and entertaining, it would lose, you know. So I said, you know, win or lose, but be spectacular. That's what we decided we're going to do. Now, okay, we've been doing a lot of losing lately. I don't want to hear it from you, sir. But, uh, you know, so probably the, the greatest fight that I like was all the Mahler fights where it would just fly apart. It was so hilarious. It was so fresh to me back then. It was so exciting because it was new. And, uh, you know, it's more about the experience than about the quality, I guess. I'm a little biased, but I would say Rotator Tombstone. Yeah. Uh, if, if it wasn't uh, our team's robot, um, I would say Surgeon General versus Hexa Decimator. If you go back to the Comedy Central days, Surgeon General is the inspiration for Rotator because uh, their, their teammates were my mentors when I was back in high school, and that's how I got into BattleBots. But it was a fight where... They were fighting this awesome flipper, and they get stuck on their back. And they get stuck there for almost a full 10 seconds. They almost get counted out, and they start turning their wheels, and they were able to wiggle themselves back down in the floor and keep fighting. So I think that was pretty awesome. I think uh, besides my own fights, definitely Overhaul 1 versus Bite Force 1. But the favorite of all time from it was from this past season. Uh, it's definitely going to be Endgame and um, Death Roll. That was three full minutes of two spinners going at each other, bouncing off the arena walls, bouncing off the floor, triple somersaults in midair, and they were built and they were durable. Yeah, that was that was the one good spinner match. It was. I'll amazing. say. Even I, hardline anti-spinner, will say that was good. Uh, if we're talking, uh, if we're talking new school. I'd say uh, ice wave rotator. That one was uh, brutal, right? Uh, if, we're, if, if we're talking old school, I'd say Robo Games, Ziggy versus the Judge. You haven't seen it? Look it up. That's 340 pounds going through the air. I have two who are also really into BattleBot, so I asked them to give me some questions to ask. And so my brother Tucker wants to ask Captain Shredder about how much does it typically cost to fix your robot. <laughs> Hey, Tucker, what's up, buddy? Thanks for asking the question. So, uh, if you guys have watched the show, you would, you'd know that Captain Shredder never takes any damage, right? It's never been hurt, it's never... You laugh, but really, it's never had a mechanical fear. Everything's been electronic. So, um, we take it back to the pits, we swap out a speed control. Two matches this last season, we lost radio receivers. So that's a matter of unplugging one receiver and sticking another one in, maybe a hundred bucks. So we're lucky in the fact that because our weapon is also our armor, 
We have a lot of armor and a lot of weapon at the same time. The shell is three-eighths of an inch thick for most of it and three-quarters of an inch thick at the bottom. And it's all hardened steel and nothing's going to get through that. A couple people got through the top, but we've never really taken any physical damage. And my brother Leo wants to know how it feels to watch your bot absolutely destroy another robot. You again? Well, of course. Of course. For any of you. Well, you know, Captain Shredderator was Shredderator for years and years and years, and it's been fighting since 2001. And back when everybody was using steel blood acids and tinfoil armor, we used to tear them all to pieces. That's why it was called Shredderator, because it would literally take the, the... It was designed to take the robots apart little by little. We didn't want to win by one big hit. We wanted to win by little by little by little. So you knock a wheel off, and they struggle around, and you knock a part out. So it was to make, again, win or lose, but be spectacular. We wanted to last a full three minutes... But make it spectacular. Now the robots are so heavily, so armored, they're even hard to break. So my joy in tearing robots apart, uh, apart <laughs> has been a few years since I've enjoyed that, unfortunately. My, my robot doesn't tear people apart. <laughs> it's been a few seasons since we've taken anybody apart, so... Uh... <laughs> Um, it's it's great feeling actually. Uh, so I'll, I'll go back to uh, the ice wake match, and I think that was probably one of my favorite matches because going into that fight, I knew there was no way I could knock out ice wave with the top disc, but I knew I could put on a really awesome show if what I thought was going to happen did happen, and it did happen, <laughs> and it lasted the full three minutes. And Mark still left with a functioning robot minus a weapon, but. Uh, that's, that's swapping out an engine. Uh, so I, I think it put on an awesome show, and, and it was really fun for both of us. We were able to go a full three minutes. Hello, everyone. My name is David. I have a two-part question. So my question is, do builders spend their own funds to build the robot, or does sponsorship play a key role in that? And my second part is, if sponsorship does play a key role, how hard is it to find sponsorship? Uh, we spend a lot of our own money. Um, thankfully, we have a, a great sponsor in what used to be SynGrid, now Twilo. Um, but that doesn't cover anywhere near all of the costs. Battle uh, bots are expensive at the, uh, at the at the heavyweight level. Very expensive. Yeah, I think uh, overhaul initial build season all up was around twenty five thousand dollars. So a lot of that came from my own funds. A lot of that because I have a robot part side business. Uh, when it comes to sponsorship, it's often a lot easier to locate part material and service sponsors because it's usually your boss relevant to uh, several different manufacturing or tech industries, and so a company will like sponsor you X or Y, you know, machining service, right? Some teams, I'd say, very very few teams actually break even or even turn a profit. Most uh, end up losing at least a couple thousand per season, um, and of those. The ones that will get financial sponsorship are typically kind of like exclusive agreements. That's almost like a race team. Uh, really, you're running your robot team much more like a small business and a race car team than just kind of like some a backyard hobby thing. Yeah, I think the part of the evolution of the sport is with uh, the amount of destruction that's happening, it's really not feasible without sponsors. So you really do depend on the sponsors to be able to get the materials and the money. Um, and our team is specifically in a very good situation where we have a really good sponsor. They want to be the only sponsor. They want to have their name on TV by themselves. So we get full support there. But the before that, um, I think uh, well, one of my ex-teammates is right there in front of us. But uh, we were putting in some money on the robot for the first, uh, 2016 season rotator. And, and then little by little, we were 
we probably get like five bucks on the show. We win a lot, and I think if we fight enough, we'll break even eventually. <laughs> yeah. If you guys are expecting to make money at this, forget it. It ain't gonna happen. But so we picked up a few sponsors. You'll find out that most sponsors want to give you in-kind sponsorship. In other words, they'll cut your parts, whatever. Very few want to just hand you money. Um, the best thing you can do is, uh, like, right now, China's paying the most money. And by the way, if I didn't say, go to yo uh, YouTube and look up Jojo Shu and make sure you watch my Chinese show. You just type it in, Charles. You just type that in. It comes right up. But, um, so they're paying pretty good. A lot of times, uh, I had a production company where we did shows and, like, uh, the trade shows and everything would pay us to come in there and put on a show. Uh, so that's your best bet isn't going to be competitions and everything. It's going to be somehow spinning the business off. There's some guys that's got a uh, bot bash. You know, they do party, uh, birthday parties and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, the, the robot fighting is like a stepping stone to other things. I mean, I uh, I got to write for Robot Magazine. I got to go to England, China. I got all a bunch of stuff. My son lives in China now because he was over there. Uh, we went over there for a competition. He fell in love with China. And all that happened because of the fighting robots. So, you know, it's not about the money all the time. Sometimes it's about the experience and what you get out of life. And we get a lot out of it. With that said, I'm going to go lose more money. I'll be back later. Well, actually, thank, thank you all so much for wrapping up our last panel here. Um, we had a great time. You've, uh, you've been great at answering so many questions. But uh, we'll get back to some, uh, some bot fighting. And, uh, you know, on behalf of Robot Ruckus and the Orlando Maker Fair, thank you all so much for attending. Music for the Breaking Bots podcast is courtesy of Dan Moriarty and his band A Troop of Echoes, available on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Music. You can also check out his website, a troop of echoes, all one word, dot bandcamp.com.